Hey, anyway, I was, uh, we were just sitting here talking, and I, I remember uh, a friend of mine who had um, come to L.A. for the first time from Texas, and he landed at LAX, and a friend of his and Rialto was supposed to come to the airport and pick him up. And he wasn't there, so he went to call him on the telephone. And as he went to use the payphone, the operator said that'll be $1.25 for the first three minutes. And the guy from Texas got all upset, and he said, Do you realize, ma'am, that in Texas you can call Helen back for 50 cents? And the operator thought for a second, and she said, Well, sir, that's because it's a local call. You give me a few extra minutes, it gets dangerous. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> hey, this past week I had an opportunity uh, to drive south on the 605 from Irwindale, what was to be the future home of the Los Angeles Raiders. And uh, I was driving and looking at that big gravel pit out there, wondering how Al Davis got 10 million bucks out of that deal. It's an amazing thing, really. But uh, anyway, so I was driving south on the 605, heading down from up around that area, Pasadena area, and I was on my way to uh, the city of Downey, City Hall. I had a meeting there. And as I was driving south on the freeway, I, a big billboard kind of stood out and it caught my attention. And the message of the billboard said, it said, buck the system. All right, and it was, I had never seen that billboard before. Has anyone seen that billboard before? Has anybody been near Irwindale at all? Well, it's, it's there, so. And anyway, the billboard is for what? Cigarettes. Yeah, I'd never seen that billboard. We bucked the system. It's for a new brand of cigarettes. And, I, you know, there's a couple things I was confused about. Number one is we need a new brand of cigarettes. Like we need, you know, like Antarctica needs some new form of lawnmower. You know what I mean? Um, it, that that kind of stood out. I couldn't figure out what they were trying to do. But then the second thing was buck the system. And you start to wonder, um, there's a table for two over there. Is that where you... Uh, no, seriously, Brent. No, no, they're, they're waving you over there. Brent, seriously, they're waving you over there. No, they want you to sit over there. They got some things they want to talk to you about this morning. No, that's all right. Oh, I, I, I tried. You're welcome. Anyway, um, so then, and then I, as I'm driving south a little further, then I come across another billboard. Now I'm still thinking about buck the system, you know, and I'm, and I'm trying to think what the message is that they're trying to get across, although I think I've got a pretty good understanding of what it is. But then the second billboard that I see says, says, screw the rules. You've seen that one, right? For the local, it's a radio station. I, I'm not going to mention what the call letters are, but the radio, it's a local radio station in the L.A. market, and it says, screw the rules. That's their big billboard. That's all that it says. Then it has a little byline underneath there for the radio station. So I'm fascinated by this, as you can imagine, in light of what we t started to talk about last week. But here it is, buck the system, screw the rules. And then I'm driving, and I get to the city hall, and I'm at the building department. And if any of you had the experience of standing in line, actually, it's not one line at any building department. It's like several lines. You stand in this line until you get in that line. You go to that line to get in this line. And then you go back, and it's the same person working at the counter. It's an amazing thing. It's like, what are you, are you triplets here or what? You know, it's like, no, go over to that line. And then they kind of sneak over like this. They pop back up. But I'm standing in line, and, and all these billboards are kind of going through my mind. And people that are going to pill, pull building permits and things, they're trying every way that they can to get around the system. And they always have someone that asks leading questions like, oh, is that all you did? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's all we did. Oh, okay, why? The fee's different? Well, yeah, but no, that's all we did. And you stand there, and you're just fascinated by all of this. But on top of that, not only are there people in line who are trying to get around the system every way that they can, but because it was, I'll whisper. But, be, but because it was Christmas week, a lot of people who are doing work on their houses, a lot of guys in construction, had their kids with them, so they're you know out showing them what Dad does, which is kind of fascinating. Now here's here's the way you get around a building department. <laughs> this is you know first rule of construction. So, but this one guy had this little boy with him, and he was about four years old, and they and they had all kind of decorations up for Christmas, and he sat him up on the counter. Now he sits him up on the counter, and right along the counter is all the decorations with all the, the balls and the whistles and all that kind of stuff hanging off of this thing. And so his dad says, don't touch that. Right? That's like saying, grab it, kiddo. You know what I mean? But he says, don't touch it. And the kid goes, grabs it, first thing. Next thing I see the dad going, I said, don't touch it. He goes, oh, I, I said, don't touch it. 
And then when you're in line, you got a lot of time to watch this, and it's going on, you know. I was ready. It was like three minutes. I was going to ding, you know, wait for the gal come out with the card. <laughs> Round one is now over, you know. It's okay. And it's like, you know, when people were standing in line just looking at this guy, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, you got a couple of choices. You can like, get them down off the counter because the counter's six feet high. The kid's only two foot one, you know. It's kind of like maybe that'll help. Or you can just keep this battle going on and just kind of kill some time. And they kept the battle going on. But, you know, it, 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 all this happens within a short period of time. Now, I don't know. You've probably had the same type of things happen this week. But it's like from buck the system, screw the rules, to dad, I'm not listening. I'm not going to listen to you. No. No. And it's like, no. No. Bang. No. Bang. No. Bang. And it was like, gee whiz, you know. And what happens is, as parents, sometimes you just get tired of the fight. And so, like, I watched, and progressively it got to the point where his dad didn't want to hit him anymore because we were all standing there watching to see who was going to win. <laughs> and then you don't do it in any kind of government building because next thing you know, social services will come and take you away. <laughs> So it's like, you know, I think the kid walked out of there with like six bulbs, you know what I mean? I mean <laughs> but it went on, and, and, and the amazing thing is like when this bumper sticker came out several years ago, question authority, and the, you know, and they had it on there. Someone was telling me last week, uh, Keith, his, a friend of his or his brother was a, a sh worked in the sheriff's department, so that the, uh, the sergeant told him anytime they see a car with that bumper sticker on to go ahead if it was convenient to pull them over. Well, and they did, and they'd pull them over, and the people were irate in the car. Why didn't do that? Oh, no, we just pulled you over because I saw a sign that said, Question Authority. I thought you had something that you wanted to ask me. <laughs> is, is that the greatest? That's the greatest story. <clears throat> and it was a true story. That is great. It's like, oh, I thought you wanted to ask something. I thought, man, that guy was sharp. And it was like, uh, no, no, never mind. And you know when I got home, I was like, I didn't get this thing off the car. <laughs> I think, oh, it's just cut off question authority. Yes, authority. I'm all for it. You know, and, and, that's, what, and that's what they did. And, you know, this, this, whole, this whole concept or the whole idea of rebellion, when you really think about it, is that we live in a society that's determined to rebel. Call it screw the rules. Call it buck the system. Call it whatever you want to call it. But we live in a society that is dedicated to resist authority, determined to rebel. And as I thought about that this week, and I thought about, you know, you think about everything that the Bible has to say, one underlying message stands clearer than any others that I can think of. And that is that our big problem, our root problem, in our separation from God, is that we are rebellious people. That really is the root problem. The root problem, from the time that we see it in Satan's rebellion against the authority of God, to wanting to be like God, from Adam and Eve, as they were tempted to be like God, to become like God. We have religious systems that are dedicated on, on having people believe that they can become like God. We've got the Mormon religion that teaches that you and I can become gods if we attain a certain level in our spiritual perfection. We've got religious systems that prey on that resistance or rebellion and try to uh, kind of soften it up to the point of saying we can become God. And it's all at issue is the rebellious heart of man. We are rebellious people by nature. We resist the authority of God. And as I go through the Bible and I think of things like Adam and Eve's rebellion to the resistance of his plan, to Cain, to Achan, to uh, you look at Saul and the Tower of Babel, see even King David and his rebellion against God in the area of, of, of purity. And, and every one of those problems at the root of it is rebellion. God, you're not telling me what to do. And even when you do tell me, if I can't see why it's a problem, I'm going to still do what I want to do. Resistance or rebellion. And, we, and, and, and what's sad about it is, is that's the state of affairs of the world around us. We're, we're people who are in a resistance to God. Now, if it ended with that, it would be pretty discouraging and real disappointing. But the good news is, as far as Christmas is concerned, we celebrate a time where God has done something to combat the rebellious heart of man. The nation of Israel has an indictment against it. All throughout the Old Testament it says that, that Israel is a stiff-necked people. And if you've ever pictured a small child as you try to discipline them, or you kind of grab them, as Dobson says, in that little magic little muscle right there at the base of the neck, and you can just see them kind of cringe and go, 
like that you know that's what i picture as i picture resistance or rebellion it's like god saying hey chuck would you do this and i'm going i can't do that i gotta do it Just give me a good reason and maybe i'll do it but i'm not gonna do it <laughs> you know and, and you still kind of do that and, like, and then finally it's like oh okay maybe i'll do it but that's the indictment and what christmas is all about is god saying you know what you're in rebellion you're resistant you resist me in every way that you can, and I know that's the way it's going to be. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to cure the problem to some degree, and I'm going to become flesh, and I'm going to dwell among you. And you're going to be able to see the grace of God. You're going to be able to see the truth of God. You're going to be able to see the ways of God. And I'm going to walk in the face of the earth, and you're going to be able to see what grace and truth is all about. And we celebrate God's love as he demonstrates it toward us, and yet while we were still walking around going, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to listen, while we we're still in that state of rebellion, God said, I'm going to come to you. You're never going to come to me on your own. So I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to break down that resistance, and I'm going to allow you to see what holiness is all about. And that's what we celebrate in Christmas. We celebrate God bridging the gap of a rebellious people who are prone to wander, prone to go their own way. And he sends us a Savior, a shepherd, Christ the Lord. And he bridges the gap between a rebellious man and a holy God. And he says, if you want to come into my presence, all you got to do is walk across that bridge. Just trust him and believe in him. And it's no wonder, as you think about it, that submission to authority pleases God. We've been going through a series on ways of pleasing God. And what God says is, you know what? Submission to authority pleases me because the root problem in our separation of our relationship is that you're in rebellion. So the fact that you could submit to authority is an indication to me that you're right with me and that will please me because of the relationship that we have with one another. If you have a right relationship with God through Christ, then submission should be a very natural thing for you to do. And so he's saying that, you know, submission to authority pleases God. And the reason that it pleases God is very simple. In Romans 13, 1 and 2, he tells us why. Why does submission to authority please God? And he outlines it very clearly as Paul argues in this particular passage that has to do with authority. He says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. He says, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. Sub submission to authority is an evidence of a right relationship with God. As we reject authority, we reject God who is the ultimate authority because the Bible teaches very clearly that God establishes all forms of authority. So if you have a problem with authority, you ultimately have a problem with God. And the warning is in the second verse that you will bring judgment upon yourself. A stiff-necked little kid brings judgment upon himself. An adult who does not submit to authority will bring judgment upon himself. Sometimes it's in the form of a letter from the IRS five years after the fact. But they're going to catch you at some point. You bring judgment upon yourself. If you violate the laws, you speed down the freeway, you bring judgment upon yourself. If you violate authority, you will bring judgment upon yourself. And that's a warning of God. It's very simple. This isn't, you know, this isn't real difficult to comprehend. And so as we go through it, we need to consider the... the um, the levels or the institutions of authority as established by God. We started to go through a couple of them. We'll just quickly review them because I got nagged all the way to the parking lot by some of the gals that are in here. And I won't mention any names, Sue. That was unbelievable. And by the way, how in the world could you remember seventh grade? Well, that, no, I just, I was a, it was a comment that was made as I was sitting over in the corner and I was just, I didn't understand what they meant by that. I wonder how she could remember seventh grade. I can't even remember seventh grade. I'm 10 years younger than she is. <laughs> now, that's what was said. That's what was said. I don't know how anybody could say something like that at all. Gee, Dave, I'd repent if I were you. Anyway, five levels of authority. Here we go. Number one, first level of authority was that in marriage. God said that a, that a husband should rule over his wife but there was also a warning in every one of these situations that a husband should also love his wife. The keys to understanding this particular principle were two. Number one was his own wife. And the second thing was, was that he should also love his wife. 
So a woman should submit to her own husband, that's a creative order of God, and a husband should love his wife, thereby making it easier to submit. This past week, I didn't bring the letter with me, but I got a letter from a group of gals in here who had a very valid question, and that is it's very hard to submit to the authority of a husband who is a liar, who is a cheat, who does whatever has to be done just to win stupid games at shepherd group parties. <laughs> I got the letter. I wasn't sure if I should address it or not. But now that I just stuck my foot in my mouth with Sue, this way I can kind of make it up to her a little bit. Not that Sue sent the letter. She was one of the women. She had nothing to do with it. But Jack's name was on it, though. So I don't know what that's all about. But that's a valid point. Now let me ask you a question. Is it hard to submit to someone you have no respect for? Everyone in agreement. Is it hard to submit to someone you have no respect for? Okay, great. But should you still do it? Yes. Oh, I don't know if I can help you gals at all. <laughs> Guess not, sorry. Anyway, so that's just kind of the way that works. There's a structure there. And the word in subjection has to do, as we talked about, with just being under. It's a military term. It has to do with rank and order. and has to do with lack of confusion and chaos as we follow the particular guidelines that are set up. I mean, can you imagine for a moment, if you think about a military term, if you're over in, in Saudi Arabia right now and everybody decided that they wanted to be general. We're going in. No, we're not. Yes, I am. I don't care if you want to go or not. I'm going, get this over with, and going home for Christmas. I mean, it's kind of like, could you imagine the chaos that there would be if every soldier decided that they were in charge? It just doesn't work. But you know what? That's amazing. As easy it is to see it in the armed forces, and it's the same military term that's used, we can't see that in our own, in our own family situations. And yet the same kind of chaos reigns, and it usually takes observers, as I was looking at this little kid sitting on the counter, usually takes observers to someone's family saying, wow, that place is out of control. Because they got the same problem that's going on. And the second area had to do with families, and we can see again the same type of problem. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Not because you respect them, not because you like them all the time, but just because it's the right thing to do. And so as he goes down through, God institutes levels of authority to continue to promote um, harmony in a, in a sense of purpose rather than chaos. If your house is out of control, you need to take a look at a couple of things. Ladies, are you submissive to your husbands? And if you're not, I'll guarantee you your children won't be either because they're taking their cues from you. So if your house is out of control, usually it has to do with the fact that maybe your kids are out of control and your kids are out of control because you're out of control. Which brings me to another point. There's one other problem that I have seen firsthand and that many of you have experienced, and that is when it comes to being married again with children from a previous marriage. Let's just get this straight. When you marry your spouse, the two of you become one flesh. You then fall into the creative order of God that says that, you know what, the two of you now come before any children. Whether they're your children, his children, her children, whatever luggage you brought with you, it becomes a situation where the creative order of God is very simple. That you as parents have parallel authority over those children. Whether they're her children from a previous marriage or his children from a previous marriage, it doesn't matter anymore because the two of you now are in authority over all of those kids that you bring with you. And it shouldn't be a surprise because you knew you had them when you decided to get married. So it's like, well, you didn't tell me you had four kids. What's the deal here? Moving on in here with me, huh? See, and you know, it shouldn't be a shocker to you, you know, they come with the program and that's not only do you marry that particular individual, but you marry into the whole situation as well. So one of the things that you need to just understand right off the bat is that now that husband and wife, that mother and father have uh, parallel authority over all those children, whether they're your biological children or not, and get it straight. It's not, well, I'm taking my kids and doing this or whatever. No, it's not. And as, and, as, and as long as they see that and understand that, then they'll be able to see the creative order of God, too, for their life when it comes to being submissive to authority. We need to demonstrate it if we expect younger people to understand it. So anyway, we get into government and officials. And if you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me for a moment to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. As we consider the levels of authority as established by God.
First Timothy 2, starting with, first, with the first verse, he says, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. It says, For kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, and that's the man Christ Jesus. So I urge you to pray for all those who are in authority. If you want to have peace in your life, if you want to live a tranquil life, then start to pray for those who have authority positions over you. So as you talk about children, it's like, hey, you want to have a tranquil life, then you better start praying for your parents on a more regular basis. And for us as adults, we better be praying for those who are in a governing authority above us on a more regular basis. Why? Because the results are that we will live a more tranquil life. There's nothing worse than having someone in authority who is a godless person who is going their own direction. And we, as we look at what Scripture teaches, must submit in all areas except for those areas where we're asked to violate the expressed will of God. So if you want to start to have a more tranquil and peaceful life, let's start praying for people who are in authority over us. And in fact, what's interesting to me is he says, you know what, this is not only good and acceptable in the sight of God, because he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. One of the fascinating things to me, what Scripture teaches is, as you're obedient and as I'm obedient to authority, it draws people to Jesus Christ. One of the ways that God uses submission to bring, bring people to Christ. He says, you know what? As the world in a rebellious world, a resistant world to authority, sees that you're submissive in areas of your life where they would never think about it, it causes them to walk away and think, what makes you tick? I don't understand this. Don't you have rights? Don't you understand? Why would you be submissive? They're asking you to do something you don't want to do. Well, that's all right. As long as they don't ask me to do something God doesn't want me to do, there's going to be, people are going to ask me to do things I don't want to do all the time. But if they're in authority over me, then I have a responsibility before God to be submissive. And that's what I'm going to do. And it blows people away. Turn a couple books ahead to Titus. Look at chapter 3. Titus 3, starting with verse 1. You know, what's great, too, is that, you know, as, as, Paul, as Paul writes this to, to uh, Titus, he says, you know what, here's another thing you got to do. He goes, you've got to remind them. And I kind of feel the same way. We all need that kind of reminder. We need to be reminded that submission to authority pleases God. We need to be reminded that rebellion does not, resistance does not. We need to constantly be reminded of that because we're reminded of the opposite all, all week long. Whether it's su subtle, subliminal messages on a billboard as you drive down the freeway, says, you know, screw the rules, buck the system to where we look at it, it says, remind them to be subject, to be obedient to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we ourselves, we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Notice the contrast here. He says, you know what? Remind them to be subject to rulers, authorities, to be obedient for every good deed. And then he says, don't malign anyone. You know, as you think about the fact that we have government officials or we've got family or you've got a husband, in the case of the other two, where he's got businesses, where you've got employers, where you've got church leaders, one of the common problems that we have is to rip other people apart. He says, I, I, you know what? I need to be reminded myself not to tear people apart who are in authority positions above me, but to pray for them. Because the natural thing is to want to rip them apart, to badmouth them, uh, you know, to malign them, to badmouth them, to talk behind their backs, to say things about them that are not kind. Maybe true, but not kind, not the right things to do. I need to be reminded not to do it. Not only not to talk bad about them, but also to be uncontentious, to stop arguing with people, to start fighting them all the time, to stop being a stiff-necked, snot-nosed brat. 
that goes like this when somebody tells me what to do. And, and to start the question, who do you think they are telling me what to do? I'm not listening to him if it's a husband. I'm not listening to him if he's my boss. I'm not listening to them if they're a government official. I don't care what kind of agency they are. I'm not listening to anybody. I don't have to listen to anybody. No one tells me what to do. And God says, hey, you know what? You've got to remind them not to have that kind of attitude. You've got to remind us not to talk bad about people. You've got to remind us not to be contentious or always arguing with people when they tell us what to do. You've got to remind us these things all the time. Why? Because we forget. Because we live in a world that's filled with rebellion and resistance, and the natural thing to do is to become just like them. But he's saying there's a contrast, and look what the contrast is in verse 3. You know, we were once foolish like that ourselves. We were once that way, but we're not anymore. We were once disobedient. We were once deceived. We once thought that fighting for our rights is how we get our rights. We once thought that telling somebody where they can stick it when they told us what to do was a way of promoting our freedom and, and independence. We were once deceived into believing all that stuff. But we're not anymore. We don't have to do that stuff anymore. We're not deceived. We don't have to be disobedient. We don't have to be slaves to that lust or that pleasure that says if somebody tells you something, you tell them the first thing that's on your mind. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. I don't have to rip into somebody because they rip into me. I can have self-control. It's the evidence of my right relationship with God through Christ. It's the Holy Spirit in my life. It's His presence that says, you don't have to be deceived by that. You don't have to buy into that. Because somebody chews you out, swears at you, you don't have to swear back at them. Somebody lashes out at you, you don't have to lash back out at them. Somebody argues with you, you don't have to argue with them. Somebody talks bad about somebody else, you don't have to join in. You don't have to be like that anymore. In fact, you don't, you're not like that anymore. He says, you know what, you don't have to be envious of somebody who's your boss or somebody that's in authority. You don't have to envy or covet their position and try to usurp their position to become just like them. You don't have to be that way anymore. That's not who we are. And you don't have to hate another person because they exercise authority over you. Man, we see that with our kids, don't we? It's like, I hate you! Why? Because you're telling me what to do. And we, and, we, and we don't like to see that in them, but yet when somebody tells us what to do, whoever they are, whether it's a governing authority, whether it's a church leader, whoever it is, we don't say that anymore because it sounds stupid, but we walk away and we feel the same feelings. And he's saying, you don't have to be like that, folks. Submission to authority pleases God. And I guess the question becomes a matter of, you know... <laughs> The key to changing in that area of our life, I, I believe, is understanding why. We really need to understand why. A lot of us just don't buy into it, well, because that's what the Bible says. All right, well, you know, and the good news is God just doesn't say, do it, and that's what I say to do, and that's just the way it is, and I'm God, and that's the way it's going to be, and I'm not going to explain anything to you. But he doesn't do that. He's a loving father. He's like you know, the best of all parents that sit down and tell their kids, here's why you should do this, and here's some reasons why. And here's some of the problems that you'll run into if you don't do it this particular way. But yet I'll give you the freedom to make the choices and God does the same thing much better than we could ever do it. And he says, Chuck, here's why you should be submissive to authority. I, I want you to be obedient. It pleases me, but I want you to understand why because I think you'll be more motivated to, if you understand it. So he, he goes on and he says, you know, wh why should we submit to authority? The first thing that he says and very, it's very simple in 1 John 3.22, is that and we receive from him anything that we'll ask. As it talks about asking of God, of prayer, it says, that, you know, we'll receive from him anything that we ask because we obey his commandments and we do what pleases him. See, understanding the will of God, when we pray, we can ask God anything that we would ask. He'd give it to us because it falls in line with what his wishes are, what his will is, and what his express commandments are. So if we can say, Lord, I just want to pray for so-and-so that they come to know your son, Jesus Christ. That God says, you know what? I'm going to give you that. that I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to do that because that falls in line with what my desires are, what my request is, and I want the same thing, and I want it even more than you can imagine because I'm the one that died for him or her. You don't know anybody that wants to see them come to me any worse than I do. He says, you can ask for that. And so he says, why? Because that's what pleases God. And so in the, in, in the area of authority, as we think about all of this, we can submit to authority because it pleases God. It's a commandment of God. Subject yourself. Submit yourself. Do it. Why? Because it pleases me if you do it. And then he goes on in Romans 8, 7, and 8, and the contrast of it is very simple. 
says the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. The contrast is between a Christian and a non-Christian. A person who's put their faith and trust in Christ, it should be as natural for us to submit to authority if indeed our goal in life, our sincere desire, is to please God in every area of our life. It should be just as natural for you and I to submit to authority to please God as it is for a non-Christian to rebel and resist the authority of God because they're destined to do so. A non-Christian cannot please God and will not, in the area of authority, submit to authority because they're unable to do so. You see what the problem is? So you're in a work environment where so, so many people are resisting authority. That's what their job description is, according to Scripture. They can't submit to authority. And then you got a few Christians who are there who end up becoming just like the non-Christians because we don't want to submit to authority, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us who says, hey, but you know what? You can submit to authority. What they do is not by choice. What they do is by nature. When we sin against God, we do so by choice. And it is against the nature of God who lives within us. See, so when you and I are rebellious to authority, we've got the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life saying, hey, bud, that's not the right thing to do. You know it's not the right thing to do, and you know you're not pleasing God when you do that, so submit to authority. Does this make any sense? I know, it's not like a Christmassy kind of message, right? So it's like, but, but it, it still has a lot to do with what this is all about. See, the good news of Christmas is that God sent His Son so that we don't have to live a life in slavery to sin. That's the good news. Is that He died so that you and I could be set free from what everybody else in the world is a slave to. And one of the things that they're a slave to is resisting authority. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me just share four, four principles to consider as it has to do with the area of submission in our life. You know, our, our, our lives as Christians are an open book. Whether you like it or you don't like it, we're an open book. At times I get tired of people watching me. At times I get tired of people making, you know, uh, feeling like I'm always on stage. You ever get like that? Did I say the right thing? Did I say the wrong thing? Did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? What does so-and-so think if they saw me do this? Or what did they think when they heard me say that? You know, sometimes as a Christian, I get tired of being on stage with the spotlight on me, watching every aspect of my life, worrying that I'm going to make another mistake. You get tired of that sometimes. But on the other hand, what the Bible teaches is that, no, our life is an open book. We are on stage all the time, and that will never change. And so as a result, if I'm going to be on stage, I might as well do it right. You know what I mean? I might as well know how to live in the light. If the light's going to be shining on me, then I might as well learn how to do it right. And so in the area of submission, what God is saying in 1 Peter chapter 2, let's pick it up at verse 11. And I just want to share four, just four little principles to consider as you think about submitting to authority because your life is on stage. And in the area of authority, people are watching to see how you respond. You say you're Christian. You say you stand for certain things. Well, when it comes to authority, we're going to watch and see how you respond. There's just four little principles that he shares in this particular passage that I think if you grasp onto them will change the way that you look at the world as they observe your life. It's a, fa it's, it's a great, great study. He says, Beloved, Peter's saying, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Okay, first thing he does, he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts wage war against your soul. What he's saying is this, I urge you to choose sides. I urge you to choose sides. Which side are you going to be on? 
You know, you've ever you've you've played those games. I'm sure you have. If you've ever played any kind of sport where they pick people, y'all line up and they pick you, and then you go on this side or you go on that side, depending on where the captains are. And it's kind of like, okay, you know, Bill, you're on my team, and you come over here and you stand behind this line, and Dave, you're on this team, and you stand behind that line. And that's the way that it works. And so what Peter's saying is, you know what? I urge you to choose which side or what line you're going to stand behind. So what I want to do is I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to be the captain, and uh, this line here is submission, and this line over here will be rebellion. And I'm going to urge you to choose what side you stand on. You want to stand on this side, you can live in rebellion, you can live in resistance. That's a choice that you have, and it's your right to make it. You can stay rebellious and resistant to God. Or you can stand on that side, and you can be submissive to the things of God. It's your choice. I urge you, I beseech you to choose which side. Just like in Romans 12, 1, I urge you or beseech you, brother, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for, before God, which is your reasonable service of worship. You, you can either do it or you don't have to do it. Whatever side you want to stand on. It has to do with, with uh, the Holy Spirit. It's parakleo, which means to call alongside. I'm asking you to be called alongside of the things of God. And he says, and the reason that he does it, he says, is because, you know what? You're an alien and you're a stranger. Now, the first point that he's making is that for a Christian, submission varies from this world's practices. You see what he says? You're an alien. You're a stranger. This isn't where you live. I don't know if you've any thought about it in practical terms, but guess what? You and I don't live here. We may be citizens of the United States while we're here. We may be citizens of a certain country while we're here. But my citizenship is in heaven, according to the Bible. That's where my home is. That's where I'm going. One day I'm going to be there. Not by anything I've done, but just because of what God's done in Christ and because I've just accepted that. That's what the Bible teaches. So he's saying that you're not part of this world anyway. So why are you always fighting for your rights? Why are you always fighting and clawing and scratching and digging and gouging people and stabbing them in the back for your rights for things today? Whatever you can get today, you can't take with you anyway. Your citizenship's not here. It's in heaven. So all the stuff that you're stabbing people for aren't going to be able to go with you anyway. You might as well not even do it. You might as well submit to God. So you're either going to submit to God and live a life pleasing to Him or you're going to be rebellion or resistant and live a life that's not pleasing to God and you'll bring judgment upon yourself. And so he's saying, hey, you know what? You're an alien. You're a stranger. You don't live here. Stop acting like you do. Stop fighting for every little thing. I got my rights, man. He can't tell me what to do. They can't tell me what to do. I'll say, oh, give me a break. Who cares? You know what I mean? In the long run, who really cares? doesn't really matter. Where's that little sticker you got, that little get a little badger? I'm going to get that. he got a little thing that says amen on it. I ask him anytime he feels like saying that just to go like this. <laughs> but, but he didn't listen. <laughs> but he never does. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to figure. But you see what it says? Look what it says. See, and, and it varies from this world's practices. Contention, arguments, uh, fighting, backstabbing, all that is commonplace. He says, but we can live as free men. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Don't take advantage of your freedom in Christ. But live as servants of God. People who want to please God, knowing ultimately that that's where we're going to be anyway. All the rest of the stuff really doesn't make a difference. You know what does, though? What's wonderful is that submission violates the world's view of Christianity. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not, but we've talked about living a life that's on stage. But do you realize that most people think of Christians as rebellious people? Using their, quote, religion as a cover-up to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it? I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that or not. But the world around us looks at us and looks at our lives and then hears us using lame excuses to do whatever we want to do. And they say, you know what, you're no different than everybody else. But what submission does, it violates that viewpoint that the world has. See, and that's what was happening in Peter's day. He said, you know what? For it's the will of God. In 1 Peter 2, 15 and 16, he says, it's the will of God that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. One of the things that's doing good is submitting to authority. You shut people up because it doesn't make any sense. 
He says, live as free men. Don't use your freedom as a cover for evil. Live as servants of God. And he says, live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of wrongdoing. Do you realize most people view Christianity as just a, a, a veiled attempt to do what we want to do when we want to do it for our own gain and for our own benefit? That's the way the world looks at it. And in fact, he goes and acts... 28, 22, he says, you know what? And he was talking to, to Paul, and Paul was giving his testimony before Festus, and he said, you know what? We want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Hey, everywhere we go, people are bad-mouthing Christianity. Ah, Christians say one thing, they do another thing. They got a Bible in one hand, a dagger in another hand. Yeah, all they're trying to do is screw people out of their money. That's all they're doing. That's all that they do. They're just using it as a, as a disguise to really do what they want to do. That's what Christians are all about. They're all the same. Just put them all in one group together. That's what they're doing. And it was no different then. That's what, that's what they were saying. Hey, you know what? We heard about this movement of yours, Paul. All that we heard was that everywhere we go, people were knocking it, man talking bad about it because all you're trying to do is just use it for your own gain. And in Acts chapter 5, we saw the same thing with Gamaliel said, hey, you know what? Thutis rose up and he led a band and then so-and-so rose up, you know, and Judas of Galilee rose up and he led, a, he led a, a group of people and they all, they're trying to do is just start trouble. And you know what? And we squashed them all. And if it's what it's all about, then we'll squash these people too. But if it's of God then we're not going to be able to stop it. And it's interesting, too, because you do a little history study of Judas of Galilee, one of these people, and he says, Judas of Galilee was a founder of what was called the fourth sect. Same thing that they, they accuse Christians of being, just another religious sect, a heresy. The school of philosophy, and that school of philosophy acknowledged God alone to be their leader. No earthly authorities, no governors, no Lord, no one on earth was going to tell them what to do. We answer only to God, is what they said. And they were passionately devoted to liberty. And Judas vigorously opposed the, the census of Quirinius, who was governor in Luke chapter 2. Wouldn't register. No one's going to tell me where to be. No one's going to tell me to register. No one's going to tell me to pay taxes. No one's going to tell me to do any of those things. I answer to God, and only to God. And his teaching spawned what were known as the Zealots. And it's interesting, his grandson led the Zealots into a suicide at Masada rather than to submit to Rome. Fascinating, every one of his sons died violent deaths due to their rebellious spirits. It's just a, a fact of history. Of Jesus, they said he was misleading the nation, he was forbidding people to pay taxes, he was claiming to be king, and he tried to incite the people to rebel. That's what they, they accused Jesus of. And it's a fascinating thing that in Luke chapter 2, through much hardship, Mary and Joseph went into the city to register for the census and to submit to earthly authority. Interesting, isn't it? And you know what? It violates that world's view of Christianity. You and I are not hiding behind Christianity to get what we want. You and I do what we do to please God. And he says, submit to authority. It pleases God. In the areas that we're not asked to rebel against the expressed will of God, then just simply do it because it's the right thing to do. It's also visible from the world's eye. See, so you know what? We're on stage and people are watching everything that you do. I don't know if you realize it, but you and I are a spectator sport. We really are. We're a spectator sport. I don't, I don't care. You know, you ever see guys, and, and, and it's kind of fascinating, and I can, you know, I got a chance. I was on the sidelines last Monday night for the game, and it was fascinating because I was thinking about this the whole time. Just in case the camera caught me on the sideline. Was I doing anything that could embarrass my family? Just in case. Man, I had itches that I never had in places that I never had before. I wouldn't scratch them for nothing. There's no way. You can't scratch them because you know what's going to happen. Every time you scratch it, it's like every cameraman always does it. Some, does it you know, it's like, let's, let's find somebody who's doing the grossest things that you can imagine the human body could do, and we'll zoom in on it right at that moment. You know, it's an amazing thing, you know, and, and it never fails. Everybody that always has a camera on them has a natural desire to blow their nose like that. It's just, that's just the way that it is, you know. It's a, and they call it, it's an Arkansas nose blow, by the way, uh, just for those of you who may have some family back from there. But, um, but that's what happens. I mean, everyone's watching everything that you do. And as a Christian, guess what? Your life's just like that. 
You've got to be careful what you scratch. You've got to be careful how you blow your nose. You've got to be careful what you say. You've got to be careful how you respond to authority when they tell you something to do. Why? Because people are watching you. And that's what he said. Peter says, you know what? Live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. They're going to watch you and say, man, you know what? This person says what they say and they live what they say they believe and they're consistent in every area of their life and because of that, I'm attracted to who they serve. You said who? Jesus Christ changed your life. He's given you the ability to be submissive or before you were rebellious or before you were contentious or before you were a backstabber or before you were a maligner or before you envied people who had positions over you and now you don't anymore. You said he gives you the power to live a life like that and have peace and joy and contentment and tranquility. I want to know him. He changes lives. And as they see that, they go, man, you know what? I want to, I want to, I want to be what you are. And that's the same thing that he says. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that even if any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When? When they see the purity and the reverence of your life. Women, you want to change your husband? Then just keep living a life that's pleasing to God. Don't say anything. In fact, it even works quicker if you don't say anything. They just watch. And they go, go ahead and say something. Say anything. Say something so I can argue with you. Say something so I can refute what you're saying. Say something. Just stop living it. You're living it. It's killing me. You're driving me crazy. And you can just smile. Just have that little grin on your face. And people in the world are the same way. You want people, you want people to be drawn to Jesus Christ? Then live a life that's submissive to authority. People will be looking at you all the time wondering what makes you tick. Don't you know what you're missing out on? Don't you know what you're giving up? He doesn't deserve to be your boss. He's an idiot. You're smarter than he is. So, what's that have to do with being in an authority position? God establishes authority. And if he wants me to be in an authority position, then he'll establish me. It's God's choice. Not mine. And the last thing is this. Submission verifies to the world our love for Jesus Christ. You say you love him. You say you follow him. You say you're in submission to his authority. Then the only way that anybody around you will ever know it's true is whether or not you demonstrate it by submitting to others. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. And it's talking about not common slaves, but it's talking about business. It's talking about employers and, this, and employees in this particular case. It's saying, submit yourselves to your boss with all respect. Not only those who are good and considerate, not only those who are smart, not only those who deserve the position they're in, not only those who have earned it, not only those who have more degrees than you, not only to those who have No, just, you know what, you just submit also to those who are harsh to those who are stupid, to those who are related to the owner, to those who don't deserve it. You submit to all of them. You know, it doesn't really matter because you can disqualify them real quick if you want. You submit to them. Why? Because it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This is commendable before God. Four simple little points. The first one is very simple, and that is that, you know what? Submission varies from the world's practices. Those who are submissive are going to stand out in a world of rebellion and resistance. Second thing, it violates the world's view of Christianity. We're not self-serving. We don't do what we do because we're going to get something out of it. We do what we do because it pleases God. It's visible from the world's eyes. God sees everything that we're doing. And the last thing, it verifies to the world our love for Christ. And you know what? None of us would put up with that kind of stuff if our ultimate goal wasn't to please God. The only thing that motivates me to put up with a lot of it is that I know it's pleasing to God. And it keeps me keeping on. Philippians chapter 2. Let's close on this. Philippians 2. <clears throat> says this. Submission really is an attitude when you get right down to it. One of resistance or one of submission. And in Philippians 2, verse 5, we read this about Jesus Christ. 
He says, why don't you have this same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although they existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, and he took the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And you know what? Because of that, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why was he exalted? Because he humbled himself and he was obedient to God the Father. He says that we're to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ demonstrated in his own life who, although he was treated unjustly, he was beaten without cause, said he never reviled, never reviled back, never struck back, but he continued to pray for those who were in rebellion and resistance against him, saying that, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And that really is what Christmas is all about, God's love for us and demonstrating it, and while we're still in rebellion, Christ died for us. And as you think about that, and you think about the fact that God will exalt you one day, for those who are humble, God, God would exalt, but he is opposed to the proud, and you'll bring discipline upon yourself as you resist the authorities that God has established in your life. On behalf of my wife and my children, we'd just like to wish you a Merry Christmas and hope that in 1991, that if nothing else, that you submit to the authority of God in your life in every area that we've been discussing because it pleases them, if for no other reason. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you that Jesus Christ is our example. He was submissive to the will of the Father. He was obedient to the point of death. And because of this submission, because of this obedience, you have highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and even under the earth that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And may we also submit to authority in our lives so that as those who are around us observe that, they will realize that we submit to your authority and that we live lives that are dedicated and determined to pleasing you. And we just thank you that we don't have to do it in our own strength and on our own abilities. But as we've come to trust Jesus Christ, you have given us your spirit to live within us, to give us the strength that we need to live a life that's pleasing to you. And we just thank you that we never have to again be slaves to sin, but that we can be perfect in your sight because of Jesus Christ. And we just thank you and praise you in his wonderful name. Amen.